Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. John chapter 11. It's a very well-known story. It's a story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I'm going to read quite a fair chunk of this chapter just so you get the story. Um, And also, it will mean we won't finish quite as early as I think we will do compared to what you're used to. Uh, So I'm going to read, I'm going to start reading from verse 1 and then I might jump. So if you've got your Bible, just follow with me, please. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And really, this is, these two verses are the verses to sort of launch my thoughts for this morning. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her again, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers with with the general answer. A lot of the Jews believed in an end time resurrection. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And then verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she also said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come out along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Actually, the translation means he was furious. He was angry. He wasn't just moved emotionally, he was angry. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of a dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone 
Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Before we come, just to share some thoughts in this passage, we're going to remain seated. We're going to sing just a, it's a short chorus. Spirit of God, show me Jesus. Reveal the fullness of his love to me. And that's our prayer as we come to this word this morning. And we'll remain seated and we'll sing it through. Amber Gill, Greg O'Shea. Amber Gill, Greg O'Shea. I'm looking for a flicker of recognition. <laughs> Is anybody brave enough to put their hand up and tell me they know who these people are? Anybody get the courage? to admit that they have watched Love Island? <laughs> ah, now, see, you're all being a bit clever. So not putting your hands up deliberately. Amber Gill and Greg O'Shea, and not that I watched it, of course, I did some research. <laughs> uh, they were the winners of 2019 Love Island. If you have no idea at all, it's a reality TV program Young, healthy, fit-looking males and females get put together in a villa in Mallorca in the hope of finding love and £50,000 at the end of it <laughs> for the winners. And all sorts of shenanigans go on if you watch the television and the press. Uh, and it's something a lot of people watch. Very popular program. And people in my office at work, quite a lot of people, I have to say mostly younger ones, as oldies were a bit... What are they talking about? What was happening this week? Who's dumped who? Who's picked up with who? It was a bit strange, but it was spoken about. And me being me, sometimes depending on my mood, I can be a wee bit of a, a stirrer sometimes at work. And they would mention it, and they were going on about it one day. And I said, why do they call it Love Island? What a weird title. And they said, to me, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it's got absolutely nothing to do with love, has it? They might as well call it Lust Island. <laughs> and of course, that started a wee conversation uh, in the work. People, what would you mean? Uh, and we started talking a wee bit about, well, what do you think love is? And for some people, love was simply equated with sex. For other people, love was just a feeling, that emotion. For other people, one of them mentioned it's, it's an intense you know, commitment to somebody else. And it's quite a difficult thing to actually define what love is. Woody Allen says, I was nauseous and tingly all over. I was either in love or I had smallpox. <laughs> Scientific view, love is human emotion caused by a chemical imbalance of serotonin in the brain. 
You can go home and tell your loved one I'm full of serotonin for you, <laughs> darling. Sounds good. Somebody else said, love is the seventh sense that destroys all the other six senses and makes a person believe nonsense. <laughs> Maybe love is when my wife Lynn, she's going to crawl under the table here, comes in the door after a hard day at work and my heart just skips a beat. And then I realize that's not love, that's my arrhythmia. <laughs> so, uh, but it's quite difficult to get a handle on what love is. Uh, the thing is, as Christians, we speak a lot about love. It's what we say. It trips off our, our tongues very easily. And we gather Sunday by Sunday, and we meet here, and we dare to, and I say we dare to, confess that God is love in a world that is full of, just watch your news the last few days, the world is full of so many horrific things, so much strife, so much tragedy, and yet we come in here and we sing praises and we sing songs about our God who is a God of love. We dare to do that. And it's good that we do that because we need to be reminded of that simple fact. John is probably one of the New Testament writers who, who writes more about God's love than anyone else. In a later letter, John, when describing God, says, God is love. In the very heart, in his essential nature, he says, God, if I'm going to say anything about God, the one thing I want to say is God is love. And John gives us early, the, the greatest verse in the Bible, the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3:16, "For God so loves the world," he says, that He gave His one and only Son to die for us, and whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life." But sometimes it's quite hard to get a grasp on this. God is love. God loves the world. It's a bit like trying to grab the bar of soap in the shower. It just slips out your hand. It's quite difficult to get a hold on it. What does it mean? And that's why I'm pleased that John has put this story here, especially that he slipped in verses 5 and 6 that we're going to focus our thoughts and launch our thoughts from. Because here in the story, we see the love of God incarnate in Jesus Christ, the love of God in flesh and bone, walking on this earth. and the Gospels, we see the love of God in Jesus interacting with men and women in their daily lives. And in this story, here we see the love of God focusing down on a family, a family who live in a village called Bethany in a very familiar situation, familiar to each and every one of us. A family facing illness and then going on to face bereavement. I want to just take a few moments to think about what this story tells us about the nature of that love. And the first thing I want to say from verse 5, that this love is personal. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John could have saved himself some time and some ink. He could have just said, Jesus loved the family at Bethany, but he doesn't do that. He names them each one individually. He pinpoints them one by one. He loves Martha and her sister and Lazarus. As if to emphasize that point that each of them individually 
are personally loved by Jesus. And you know, folks, that's a very precious thing to say. It's a precious thing to know. When you read the Gospels, Jesus is always and often found in crowds. There's always people crowding around him. And there's a story when he was leaving Jericho and he's coming out and he's teaching and the crowds are following him and surrounding him. And there's an elderly man at the side of the road who happens to be blind and he knows Jesus is coming and he wants to speak to Jesus. He believes Jesus can help him. And this man Bartimaeus cries out above the crowd, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops, and amongst all the hubbub, all the teaching, Jesus stops. The teaching stops, the procession stops, and Jesus goes to Bartimaeus, that one individual in the crowd, and deals with him and helps him. Because that is what the love of God is like. It focuses down upon us as individuals, loving and accepting us as we are, just as he does this family. And I'm sure like every family, and you'll probably all have names in your minds now, there are some who are easier to love than others. Martha. I don't know what image you have of Martha. Remember the time Jesus visited the home and Martha's in the kitchen. She's doing all the work, all the preparation. The steam's coming out the pot. The steam's coming out her ears because Mary's sitting in there doing hee-haw. And Martha gets fed up and she bursts into the room and she tells Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Tell her to help me. Telling Jesus, shouting Jesus, telling him what to do. Martha, that bossy, wants to be in control. Maybe that's unfair to Martha. But there's Mary. Easy to love Mary. You read about her in the Gospels. We were told in the opening verses that Mary is the one who, who poured the perfume on, her, on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Sits at Jesus' feet listening. She wants to learn. She's spiritually open. Very easy to love Mary. And then Lazarus. You know, he's such a famous man, Lazarus, but he actually never says anything in any of the Gospels. And I did hear one preachers say that was because he had two sisters. Now, that wasn't me. That was someone else. But he's, he's nondescript, Lazarus. And yet Mary and Martha and Lazarus, each one of them loved personally by Jesus. Just as he loves each of us personally this morning as unique individuals. You may have heard the story of the time when the social work department were doing a census in the Gorbals in Glasgow and the social workers were sent round the doors to ascertain who was living in what houses and what size the families were. And the social worker chapped the door and the mother came to the door and he explained why he was there to do the census. He said, can you give me the number of children in the home, please? And the mother said, well, there's Mary, there's Jean, there's Bill. And the social worker said, no, no, all I need is a number. And the mother replied, there are no numbers in this home. They're all names to me. And this morning, we are all names to God. And when God loves us this morning, he doesn't just love us as a group of people, but he loves one by one by one by one. 
a love that focuses down on us, irrespective of who we are, irrespective of what we have done. You know, he knows absolutely, as Karen was saying, he knows absolutely everything there is to know about us. He knows all your hopes, your dreams, your joys. He knows your failures, your guilt, your shame. He knows the things you wouldn't want anyone else in this place to know. And yet, incredibly, in spite of all that God knows about you and me, incredibly, he still loves you and still loves me just as much as he loved Martha and Mary. And the reason is because God only has one level of love. And that love is determined not by the object of his love, but by his person. And God is love. And when he loves us, he loves us with the whole of his being. You don't have to make the grade. This is the time working in school with the exam results have been coming out. A lot of tension and tears and all the rest of it. People waiting for their grades. Getting the grades, hopefully, that all their work has meant they achieve. And you get the grade you deserve, or so they say. It's not like that with God's love. He doesn't have grades. Oh, you know, you're an A, you're a B, you're a C. He loves us with the one level. Carol Barth was a, a very well-known theologian, reformed theologian. He died in 1968, a man who had immense influence in Christian theology. And he wrote, uh, one of his most famous works was Church Dogmatics. He worked on it from 1932 until 1968. Uh, so it's a fairly big piece of work, covers everything, uh, you know, and you've got to read each page about 10 times to try and understand any of it. Immense man, intellectual. But when he died, he over six million words in that piece of work. And on one occasion, Bart was asked, he was lecturing, and he was opened up for questions, and a young student asked him, what's the most important thing you've learned in all the years of studying your theology? Can you sum it up in a few words? In fact, in the song that we just inadvertently sang is the answer. And Carol Bart's answer was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's so simple, yet at times we forget it. At times we get so used to it. And I suspect that my need and your need time and time again is to know this truth and to allow this truth to move from up here down to here. Because sometimes that's the hardest part and that's the longest journey. God loves you. Please take it to heart this morning and believe it. We're going to sing of that love. We're going to, I think we'll remain seated as we sing this song. I'm hoping you'll know this song so freely. Flows the endless love you give to me, not dependent on my part. Remain seated as we sing. What a life Mary and Martha and Lazarus must have had, eh? Loved by Jesus. What a wonderful life. But being in a cruise line or sitting in a deck chair, just plain sailing into the sunset. Didn't quite work out like that because sometimes understanding that love is quite puzzling. We read in verse 3, 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus is sick, and the sisters do what you have been told from your Sunday school days to do. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. They do what you're told to do, take it to Jesus. They do the right thing. They send word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick, and they expect him to react because they know Jesus loves them. They're aware of the special relationship they have with Christ. And so we read in verse 6, so in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus rushed away from his disciples to be with Lazarus immediately. So that's a different translation. No, he didn't. He stayed where he was two more days. If we get a phone call now to say one of our children was seriously hurt in an accident or something, Lynn would give me a wave. I'd say, sorry, guys, you might be quite pleased. Service needs to come to an end. We've got to go right now. Jesus hears his friend Lazarus was sick, and he stays where he was two more days. And Lazarus dies, and it's four whole days before Jesus even bothers to come. And yet John says... He loves them. And here's a family who are loved by Jesus, and they go through this experience. And I'm sure there's more than some here who know this exact same experience. One writer called this the strange delays of God in our lives. You've always believed that God loves you. You've always believed that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You've come to believe and you've experienced that God answers your prayers. But the one that you're praying for, the loved one, just seems to get worse and, and, and dies. Or the circumstances that you find yourself in, it just doesn't seem to be any way out. And you're looking for that chink of light and it just seems to be darker and darker. And nothing seems to be happening. You know that experience. And for all your pleading and your prayer, sometimes you find God to be deaf. Or as C.S. Lewis says, there's a door slammed shut in your face. What can we say when we experience these things as well? I think two things from this story. And the first thing is, we have to affirm the truth that faith believes. Or as one writer says, when you walk in the dark, remember what you learned in the light. That seems to be the way John tells this story. It seems to be the way that John shapes the story. Right at the outset, let's get this crystal clear, says John. This family are cared for and loved by Jesus. I don't want you to miss this. I want you to take it to heart. I want you to hold it firm, rock-like in your belief. Because I'm going to tell your story, and at the start of it seems to contradict it. But in fact, it doesn't. And the fact remains that for you and I, nothing can deny the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus loved you enough to go to that cross and to die for you. One other theologian, Helmut Tielica, he speaks of his life, uh, his Christian faith in his life, and he uses the, the image of, of looking at a piece of cloth using a magnifying glass. And if you've ever done that, if you've used a magnifying glass, you'll know what happens. 
the center of the glass is sharp and clear, and the image you're looking at at the center is clear, but all around the edges you get this sort of the blurry parts. And Telica uses that as an image for his faith. He says, in the center, he says, I see the cross, and there I see that God loves me, and it's crystal clear, and it's sharp, and it's in focus. But all around the edges of my life, the day-to-day stuff, (laughs) everything seems a wee bit blurry. But then he goes on to say, yet one day I believe he will show it to me, that all will make sense and all will be consistent with his love and his cross. So we have to affirm the truth that we believe and then we have to wait and trust and this is a this is a hard one and a biggie this is what mary and martha had to do they had to wait and trust for this non-answer from jesus we 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 know the whole story but in their experience they sent for jesus nothing and they're waiting wondering what's going on where is he he loves us he's not doing anything They have to learn to wait and trust. We're told in this story of the sister's request. We're told of the illness. We're told of the strange delay, the questioning of Mary and Martha. And it all gets worse and worse. And Jesus comes and it's too late and it all seems so dark. John tells us in the story, we have to keep going. You have to keep going with John to the very end of this story. Because Jesus is going to make that incredible claim to be the resurrection and the life, the life giver. Mary and Martha are going to have their faith strengthened and encouraged. Men and women are going to be drawn into God, into the kingdom of God, and God is going to be glorified. For us, of course, we're in the middle of our story. You could say Mary and Martha only had a few days to wait. Fair enough. But we're all in the middle of a story and as such we walk by faith and not by sight. And likewise we trust that one day all will make sense and one day we will say amen to God for all his dealings with us in our life. There's a Methodist minister, W.E. Sankster, and talking about this he, he tells a story of being a boy going to camp and I can vaguely remember going to BB camp and can sort of... Um, recognized his experience at times. He said he ran out of money midway through the week and he sent a a letter home. Dear mum, no man, your son. (laughs) He said a few days later he got an envelope back and he went into the tent and he ripped it open expecting a few notes and he got one wee note. Dear lad, too bad, your dad. (laughs) And and he he said when all the other boys found out what we would call they started to slag him and make fun of him. Your mum and dad didn't send you any money. Do they love you? I don't think your mum and dad care for you. And he said this went on and on and on. He said until I finally get fed up. He says I uttered probably words of the sublimest theology I've ever uttered. He finally blurted I don't know why they didn't send the money. I'll need to wait until I get home and ask them myself. And that's difficult. Sometimes we have to wait with unanswered questions. Mary and Martha had a few days. Our period might be slightly longer. 
And it's difficult because we live in a world where it's now, isn't it? If you get held up at a traffic light, well, if you're like me, you're a bit tetchy already. Internet, everything has to happen constantly, building speed, building speed, anything to make things quicker, instant. But it's not like that in the life of faith. Sometimes we have to wait and we have to live with unanswered questions and it's hard and it's difficult. If he loved me, why was there no healing? If he loved me, why did I not get that job? If he loved me, how can he let me go through this experience? And yet the cross says he does love you. And one day you will get the answers. Whatever the questions you have at the moment, I would just encourage you to hold on in faith to the one who loves you. Loves you with a love that's personal. It's puzzling at times, but ultimately that love is all-powerful. This story answers a question, perhaps the most important question we can ask. What happens to the person whom Jesus loves and they die? Can death snatch that person from his grasp? Fundamental question that we all at one time in life will have to answer. It's a question the crowd asks in verse 37. When Jesus comes, they see Jesus weeping, see how much he loves this family. And some of them say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? What they're saying is, Jesus has opened the eyes of the blind. What's up here? Is this too much for Jesus to deal with? Is he a saviour who can only go so far? And if he's a saviour who can only go so far, then he's no saviour at all. And you know the answer, don't you? Jesus goes to the tomb and tells Martha, look, get that stone rolled away. Martha says, no, it's going to be a terrible stink, Lord. Jesus, it doesn't matter. Get the stone away. And with that act of incredible authority and majesty, Jesus, who claims to be the resurrection and the life giver, demonstrates it. And then the, the forerunning to his own resurrection cries, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. You see, not even death itself can take Lazarus out of the reach of Jesus. And not even death itself can take you out of his reach once you are his and once you belong to him. Truth understand, understood very well by the Apostle Paul, wasn't it? You'll know his words in, that, in Romans chapter 8. Very well-known words where Paul talks about his security in Christ. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on with that huge list of trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In these few moments, we'll be thinking about the love of Christ for us, a love that is personal, although at times very puzzling, if we're honest. But ultimately, we trust that it's all-powerful. And as I mentioned, John's Gospel is written as an invitation. This letter is to invite you to come maybe for the first time or for the umpteenth time. 
to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ or to renew that faith and trust, to believe and to keep on believing. And the story asks us the question, have you recognized and received the love that Jesus has for you? Have you recognized that Jesus loved you enough to go to that cross to die for you and rose from the dead and now through his spirit longs to share that new life with you? Jesus doesn't force that upon us. You can say, no thanks, that's your privilege. Or you can say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for dying for me, and offering your love and your life to me. I come now to trust in you and in your love, in life, through death, and forevermore. Jesus loves Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And Jesus loves you. Amen. We're going to stand and sing at our offering hymn as we sing, Come let us sing of a wonderful love, tender and true, out of the heart of the Father above, streaming to me and to you. We'll stand as we sing. Let's pray. Lord God and our loving Heavenly Father, as we bring these offerings to you this morning, we do so as part of our response to who you are, out of gratefulness to the fact that out of love you have reached down and come into our lives. We do so in response to the love that Jesus has shown us as he went to that cross and there paid the price for our sin so that today and this morning we can know your forgiveness. We do so in response to his resurrection and the, the offer of new life through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, this morning we quite simply want to say thank you Thank you that in the heart of your being, you are a God who loves us. Not because of who we are. Not because of what we have done. For we can do nothing to deserve that love. But we thank you that simply out of grace, you love us because you love us. May your Holy Spirit embed this truth in our hearts and minds. And may this truth begin to change us day by day. That as we come to know your love in a deeper and a fuller way, may we learn to share that love with one another and with others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.